0: Welcome back to Purpose Driven Passive Profits. His name is Nate Armstrong. He is the CEO of Home Invest. My name is Steve Warner. I am the Chief Investment Officer. And if you are wondering how you should look at multifamily investing, you are in the right place. This is Purpose Driven Passive Profit, where we believe that we were put here by God to do great things and to honor Him by giving purpose to the profits that we make. Nate, how are you doing today?
1: Steve, I'm, I'm locked. I'm, I'm ready to rock, man. Awesome. So we are going to get
0: into some nitty gritty of how you actually look at deals. When you go out to a sponsor, when you go to somebody who has a multifamily deal and you want to figure out if it's a good a, deal, a good deal or a bad deal, I know that they always put out the IRR, they talk about preferred, but we're actually going to get into things that you should ask for. So how do you actually read property underwriting? I know this is like super geeky stuff, but Nate, can you talk to us a little bit about what the underwriting looks like, what the documents are called and I'll just help you unpack it.
1: Yeah, yeah, so the first first thing is I'm looking for actual rents. Everybody wants to tell you, especially if there's like a broker in the middle, which I don't recommend going, um, it's better to try to go directly to the seller. But everyone wants to talk about the hypothetical rent, the potential rents. They're going to call it the pro forma. And a lot of people sell multifamily properties that way. They say, hey, here's, here's, the, here's, here's what it should look like. and But I'm always like, no, no, no. Like, I want to know its actual performance. So the first thing I'm going to ask for are the trailing 12 months. They're going to call it the T12s. Um, sometimes landlords are detailed and they have that. Other times they're not as detailed and I have to kind of piece it together by investigating with their property management company. Sometimes they'll have the T3s, the trailing three months. That'll at least give a a snapshot of what's happened in the last quarter on the property. But I want to look at the actuals, So always dig in, ask for the T12s, trailing 12 months worth of rents and the T3s, trailing three months. Um, Can I go a level deeper than that too?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Okay, okay, so... So that's the financial documents. Once I've got the financial documents, now what I want are the actual leases. I'm going to go through and I'm going to verify. I'm, if it's a really big building and I'm just doing a quick spot check, I might audit like every 10th lease. I want to verify and look for it on the rent roll, look for it on the T12 to verify it's actually legit. Um, but then when it comes down to actual due diligence time, there was someone on our team going through every single one of them. I want to make sure that everything is legit. I cannot tell you, how many times in my career now, this is 1,500, approaching 1,500 deals, um, where the landlord has slipped in the wrong leases, or they've slipped in the wrong numbers. Sometimes I think it might be intentional. Other times it might be an accident. Regardless, we need to know. We need to be really, really deliberate in our uh, our attention to detail on taking over a property financially.
0: So, I mean, that's really interesting to me that one, a landlord would substitute documents or spoof the rents a little bit. I mean, I guess it's possible. Talk to me about how that document. So you have the T12, which is the past 12 months, or the T3, which is the past three months. How does that come in? If you are looking at a syndication deal, how would you look at that? Because how does that inform the estimate of the, the rate of return that people are going to get back when they're investing?
1: Yeah, what it does is it gives us our baseline of where we're at today. Like the pro forma, the future stuff, that's all great and we wanna get there, but what are we actually at today? Because typically when someone says, oh, it could be rented a lot higher, I I haven't bumped the rents. The real story is, is that they haven't done what the building needs to bump the rents. They haven't upgraded management personnel. They haven't upgraded the, the amenities. They haven't painted the place. They haven't done the improvements that are needed. That's the, usually the real reason that rents haven't been bumped. So our T12s are going to give us our baseline. Now we know where this property will actually perform if we don't lift a finger on it. Does that make so, sense?
0: Yeah, of course. When you look at the T12s, are you also looking at the amount that they have spent on maintenance, the amount that they've spent on management, the amount that they've spent on different fees coming in? And then do you look at those? Do you when you're doing your underwriting, when you're planning for the future, how do you? How do those documents relate and what should investors look for?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so those numbers are going to give us our baseline coming into the deal. But then as we forecast in the future, what most people will do is they'll just look at the rent increase and they forget that um, costs go up too. We're in an inflationary environment. Wages may or may not raise. You should account for it just in case they do taxes may or may not raise, you should again account for that in case they do. So basically we go through, not only do we account for a rent increase, but we also account for an expense increase. A lot of people miss that one. In fact, Steve, you and I have chatted about that a bit before, but a lot of people, when they're underwriting deals, they miss the expense increase side. You should count on having good long-term on-site people in your buildings taking care of the place. You should count on that expense going up because that expense going up probably means that they're retaining tenants. It probably means that although their salary went up, they probably kept the maintenance bill a little bit lower on the property because they're maintaining it. And we're not, we're doing less stuff with external contractors. So um, not only should we account for rents going up, but we should account for some of the expenses in the property going up.
0: I think that's, that is one of the, or easy red flags to look at, like look at their underwriting. And if you don't see expenses going up, like they shouldn't go up drastically, but if you don't see them going up each year, you know that they're not planning it correctly. And if you ever see the expenses going down, like I know I'm kind of painting with a big brush here, but if you ever see expenses going down, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying that they, you know, well, once we have the right management in place, we'll actually need less employees. And that should scream, Like they're trying to adjust the numbers because anyone, when they do their underwriting, they're gonna know how to switch numbers around to make whatever rate of return they want happen. So you have to be able to look at it. It goes beyond just trusting the person and looking at it and saying, okay, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. Is there anything else that you think people should look for in the underwriting just as like an easy red flag to look at and say like, hey, that's probably not right, or you're probably not doing your math correctly.
1: Yeah. Just, um, having plan a plan B, I know we've done a different episode on that, but a lot of times people will, they'll just forecast on one thing and one thing only as the exit, like, Hey, we're going to bump rents up and we're going to turn on a resell this thing. If, um, A is everything that they're banking on and there's not a plan B and a plan C, then that's a big red flag to me. It shows me that usually the operator, like maybe they haven't lived through cycles, maybe they haven't been through uh, good and bad economic times. So I'm always looking at that uh, when I'm looking at a deal. Yeah, that that's probably the biggest one.
0: That's I I like that as well. Like I like to know that they at least have thought through that and that they know that there's something like okay, this is our plan A. This is what we're planning on. This is the rate of return. If that all goes wrong, if the economy does something crazy, or if- you know, the market changes. This is our plan B and our plan C. I mean, when you're talking about putting a large chunk of money into a deal, you want to make sure that people know what they're doing and they have contingency plans in place because that is a whole lot better to sleep with at night than, well, plan A is not working out and oh my goodness, we need more money or like the deal's not working and you're going to lose everything in it. You don't want to hear that. So
1: I got got one more for you too that a lot of people will kind of drop the ball on. It's um, common utilities and then uh, parking. I'll I'll elaborate on both. So common utilities, sometimes in the industry, we will say, you know what? We can do a utility um, ratio bill back. They'll call it RUBS for short, um, uh, uh, ratio utility billing. It's kind of the insider term. And what that means is that let's just say that the owner is currently paying for all the water in the building. Or even a better one, the owner's paying for all the heat, which I hate. I don't like buildings like that. But if the owner's paying for all the heat and um, the tenants basically get that included with their lease, a lot, of, a lot of operators, they'll forget that you can make some moves to bill back some of that, or you can at least cap the spending. Now, I'll tell you um, how I learned this. I learned the hard way on a duplex that I bought a long time ago, one of my very first properties, 725 Fuller Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. The heat was a shared system for both units. My brother was my investor on that project. And I remember um, one January, we just got killed in our heating expense. The oil was through the roof. And I remember going out because like, I was you know kind of ashamed talking with my brother and I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, I got to figure it out though. Drove to the property in the downstairs tenant. They had the thermostat cranked up to 90 and the upstairs tenant had all the windows open. This is Northern Minnesota. It's cold. It's And so, so I'm like, okay, that's why we're paying a fortune for heat right now because downstairs tenants got the thermostat cranked and upstairs tenants got the windows open in the middle of winter. And so I realized right then and there that there was gotta be a better way. So I took initiative, got educated, learned what other people were doing. And a lot of them do this utility billback. where basically they say, Hey tenants, yes, we have an, uh, it's not ideal, but we've got a shared heating system here. And so this is the way that it's gonna go. We're gonna cover you for X dollars, but anything over that, you're contributing. Here's how that works. And so it's not perfect to do a utility billback, but you have to at least have something like that in the lease to to prevent tenants from abusing the, the common utilities. My preference is that we install a furnace per unit. My preference is that we have an individual water meter per unit or an electrical meter per unit. That way their tenants are accountable for their own consumption. That is the best by far. And I always aim for that. But a lot of um, inexperienced operators, they don't know what they're doing on that that part and they'll just leave it up to chance. And chance is not a good strategy for uh, a building like this.
0: Got it. So what should people be looking for on like a, a T12, right? The trailing document. And then on the underwriting, how should people be looking for that specifically?
1: Yeah. So so a lot of um, owners, when they pass off the building to the next prospective buyer, they'll say, Hey, here's, you know, here's the pro forma. This is what it should look like. All you got to do is, you know, start billing back the water or whatever it is. Um, the way that I look at it is I'm like, okay, well, number one, mechanically, are we set up for that? Can we get individual meters in here? How much would that cost? A lot of times it's cost prohibitive, but if it is within range of doing, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to execute it. Um, so I just look at the T12s and see what's actually happening right now. That's my starting starting block. And if it's not happening right now, then I'm gonna scope out and see what the expense is to do it. If if an operator just tells me, like, oh yeah, we're just gonna bill back the utilities, but they don't have some kind of capital expenditure budget for going in and updating and putting a meter per unit, I know that they're they're gonna miss. There's just no way they're gonna do it. It's not a cheap fix to go in and separate furnaces. Even on that little duplex, 725-folder, it would have cost me 2400 for just the furnace. And then I would have had to reduct it because the returns and supplies that complement the, the heating and cooling system, that was another expensive job. They had to bust into the drywall. They have to revent stuff. And it was another 8000 bucks. So that, that one little duplex would have cost me close to 10 grand somewhere in that ballpark just to do the split. And so now when you uh, magnify that in a 100-unit building, obviously it goes up and up and up. So if the operator says they're going to bill back, but they don't have a plan in place, capital expenditure budget-wise, to change something, I'm very skeptical.
0: Yeah, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's talking and saying you're going to do something, but not having the ability to do it. So with that being said, Nate, do you want to talk a little bit about the current offering that we have? It is a smaller offering, but if we can talk about it in the terms that we're talking here, I think people will help understand it. We'll use this as a little bit of an example.
1: Yeah. So it's this beautiful little 22-unit building, uh, three blocks from another asset that we own that's really doing well in good old Louisville, Kentucky. What's interesting about this one is that Uh, We do have plan A, plan B, everything mapped out, start to finish on this. But what's interesting about it is that we're currently renting our other asset at $1.51 per square foot. We're picking up this new asset, this little 22-unit building, about 20, maybe 22% under where market rates should be. And um, for us to hit all of our investor expectations and returns, we don't even have to lift to where the other building is, which is $1.51 per square foot all we have to do is lift to a $1.35 per square foot. That means rent per square foot in the building. What is the average rent? And so all that I'm saying is that we don't have to do very much. We just need to bring the rents up a little bit. There's no rubs to do, which is utility bill back. There's none of that stuff to do. It's literally just letting leases expire and then coming to market rate with the leases. So it's a pretty easy play for us. Um, We're looking at, we always quote on these three to five year projects, this one could be a lot faster because there's only 22 units to process. And because we have another larger asset just down the street, we might even be able to package this small building with the bigger building and the bigger buildings much further along. So we might be able to package them and sell them to one new buyer all at once. So it might be a pretty fast deal.
0: Nice. And talking about the things that we talked about, as far as there's no rubs, there's no nothing needs split up Mm utility-wise, and you've got plan A, plan B, and plan C in place. What happens if plan A doesn't work?
1: Yeah. So basically plan A is package it with our larger asset and sell it at the same time because um, there's a lot more buyers when you start to get into the 100 plus units. 22 units is still like mom and pop size. And so if you want the biggest buying pool in multifamily, you got to get to 100 units because we have another property just down the street that has significant unit count, we could package these together. So plan A is package together and sell as a hundred unit plus package. Uh, If that doesn't work for some reason, then plan B is we'll ride out the market a little bit longer and then we'll just list this one for sale and maybe we'll sell to another mom and pop. We'll need to continue to raise rents on that. So it'll take time. It might go the full three to five year duration. And then plan C, if let's just say that the US government goes crazy they default on their debt interest rates keep going up and stuff gets a little bit hairy. then what we're going to do is we're going to continue to sit back and collect cash flow. This one will clip a pretty good return. It'll probably clip like just off the rents alone we'll be able to hit the preferred return to our investors of six percent which means that before we even sell and make our real profit we'll be able to give people their a six percent preferred return the entire time that we've got the asset. And that will be able to go up over time as we increase rents. So there's plan A, plan B, and plan C on it.
0: Awesome. If you guys want to learn more about that, you can go to homeinvest.com. We also have the links in the show notes below. Uh, If you'd like to invest, this one is going to fill up fast. We have not made a formal offering for it yet. We've just kind of whispered around about it a little bit. And we've already filled up, I believe, about 50%. Is that right, Nate?
1: Yeah, it might even might even be pacing for more than that right now. Um, as soon as we formally open it up, then we can actually sign paperwork that the attorney's preparing right now. And then it will go really, really fast. But we've got other investors that have already invested in other projects that had said, save me a spot. So we are doing that on a verbal basis now, but it's going to feel fast. So if someone's interested in looking at this one, then I'd encourage you just to come to homeinvestcom podcast book a call with us. We'll walk you through the executive summary. And if it looks like a good match, we'll work with you. If not, then maybe we'll get to know one another and work on another deal together in the future.
0: Awesome. We always have deals going on. So if for some reason you go to the page and this one isn't listed, it's because this one's been full for a little bit, but we will always have our current deals there as well. And we love to chat with you.
1: Nate, anything else before we jump off for today? That's that's it, man. Well, I'm, I'm going to get back to work and I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. All right, guys. Until next
0: time, make sure that your profits have purpose and we'll see you soon.